A lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast. If you're struggling with an injury, lack of mobility, or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with, then you need to get it sorted. Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. The practice owner, John Quigg, is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football Club. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 3022. That's 075 685 3022. Get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We just opposite at the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids, and that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon, and don't forget shop local. So welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. I saw the La Rochelle Ulster game described as a chess match played in a storm, which is pretty accurate. Ulster fell agonisingly short once again, away from home the Champions Cup holders La Rochelle. Ulster dominated in terms of possession, but failed to capitalise in the dreadful conditions in terms of points. This makes it six losses in seven matches. However, Dan McFarland and many Ulster fans were somewhat encouraged by their performance. So, to discuss all things Ulster at the minute, I'm joined by an incredible and incredibly patient panel, because we've had technical issues, Nathan, Evan, Caelan, Donal and Jack. So, Evan, before we talk about the game, it's been a while since I've spoken to you about Ulster. So, in your opinion, what's happened to Ulster since the second half against Leinster, that infamous second half? Is there anything in particular you've noticed or picked up on that Ulster have changed that has caused their capitulation? Uh, I, I don't honestly. I don't think Ulster have changed a huge amount tactically about the way they've played. Without playing amateur psychologists too much, I think it's just that a lot of the errors they're making now are confidence errors, kind of mistakes you'd make when you're not entirely backing yourself, dropping the ball, um, players with heads down in defence and not looking up to see how many people should fold around a rook or how many should stand on either side of a rook and. A lot of the mistakes are coming from that lack of confidence. And at the time, I suppose, writing after about the game, after the, the Leinster game, I said Leinster was the last thing that was left for Ulster and was the measuring stick for them. And I wonder maybe did they look at that as too big a game or put too much emphasis on that and that when they didn't beat Leinster and lost in the manner that they did, did it affect their confidence? Because just the systems they've been using are good. You know, the... Tactically, the way they play is good. It's just the conviction of what with which they're playing is not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I say there's a lot of those conference comes where, say, Mike Larry throws a quick throw in from a line out and, and it all goes wrong. Stuart McCloskey is looking at the ball, doesn't try to make a tackle. All these things, these compound errors coming in where things start to not go your way. You might not get referees calls. And you're not playing with this confidence and it just compounds itself and you start seeing these losses and these last-minute losses, especially. 
Yeah, very frustrating. But uh, look, we're here to try and answer some questions about what has mm-hmm. gone wrong for Ulster. And thank you for that, Evan. We'll we'll delve a wee bit more into that in a second. But uh, I want to turn to Donal. It's his first appearance in the podcast. So welcome, Donal. Um, so I want to ask, just as a, I know you're an Ulster fan, so how optimistic are you that Ulster are simply going through a difficult spell at the minute and not a meltdown or sort of crisis that people have talked about? Um, I don't know really about my confidence in the whole thing, really, or whether that matters a terrible lot. I, I think a lot of it's going to be settled in hindsight, really, when we look back at the season. Um, and while we're living at the minute and we're getting so frustrated at the minute we have to remember that we are fans and typically our reactions tend to be super polar one way or the other um and i think really it depends on your definition of crisis you know i the first i saw people mentioning crisis was after the loss to leinster um then of course there was more after the loss to seal and then by the time we got to the monster match it felt like people had settled into two fairly entrenched camps of Oh, we're in definite free fall crisis, or no, it's going to be fine. Tricky spot, and that really since then, nothing's much has changed. I don't think anyone was convinced after last weekend that who was in the crisis camp that were not, and I don't think anyone who was in the not crisis camp after La Rochelle uh, thinks it is a crisis. Um, yeah. So I think we're we're in two firm camps at the minute. But really, at the end of the end of the season, you know, if we get to semi-final finals of URC was that a crisis season or is that where we expected to be mm. uh, if we lose this weekend and drop down into the challenge cup and if we get to say finals or win that was it a crisis um, or can you spin it that it, we were in crisis and we just had an upswing in form and we got out of it um, and I think I think so much of how what we're going through at the minute is framed is going to be through the the prism of hindsight really um i don't know i just think that quite often there's blurred lines between being a fan and trying to be some sort of armchair uh, analysis of these things we all like to have a bit of a go um but really we're never really as good as we think we are when we're going well and we're never really as bad as it looks like we are at the minute so you're far too reasonable, do not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely. I think I think you're you're right, and it provokes debate. And I think debate's usually a good thing, and it's part of why sports enjoyable. And talking about which players should be playing, which players shouldn't, and I think that's uh, and the way the team should be playing. I think that's part of the fun of sport, uh, in my opinion. Um, I, I I agree, but there's so many sliding doors moments for this. You know, we think about that. Um, that loss to Seal, it wasn't as if that loss to Seal was without any sort of context, the difficulty of all the travel. That there was, that was a pantomime of yeah. craziness um, yeah. in the lead up to that game. And then you look at the other side and doors moment of the frozen pitch and all that saga. We've been very unlucky, which has added fuel to this fire. But I don't, ah, crisis thing's too strong just yet. Yeah, for me anyway. On on luck here, maybe poorly managed from a sort of leadership perspective in Ulster would be my argument. But I want to I want to skip ahead now to Kaelin. Kaelin, on the basis of, basis of that performance, how far are Ulster from turning things around? To be quite honest, Peter, I think it's I think it's hard to say because you know last time I was on here, I spoke about Ulster not wanting to get stuck in a cycle of 
win, need to win, win, need to win, you know, and every game being a must win when they shouldn't be. But now you're faced with Sale um, at home and then the Stormers, which is at home as well over the next two weeks. And fair enough, there, there's the reality is there are some Ulster fans who listen to this and possibly even on this call who will think Challenge Cup is better. There's other Ulster fans who will think we should be going and trying to make the last 16 in Europe because at the end of the day, without being too rude about it, there's 24, it's a 2014 competition and 16 teams get out. Ulster won the top 16 teams. They should want to get out. But they are in this position now where Sale and Stormers are big games. I think like, if they go and they beat Sale, that'll give them huge confidence because they'll play the Stormers then who are travelling all the way back up to the Northern Hemisphere to play them and could go with a rotated team. And then they play the Stormers in a kind of top-of-the-table-ish clash to get their URC back on track. And if they win those two games, like form is is a fickle thing. It can be swung just by momentum in, in itself. So it, it's I don't I don't think it's about how close Ulster are from the tactical side of things. I think it's about just getting over the line and getting the job done. And to be quite honest, if they'd beaten Larochelle at the weekend, we'd all be saying, Oh yeah, they're very, very close because Larochelle or Larochelle. So I think it all hinges again, like the Benetton game kind of hinges on sale and it kind of hinges on the stormers and if they can get the results if not they're they're tough games to be to be going in with uh with a negative mindset going into yeah no absolutely and while well, well, we have you here uh Caelan, could you tell us about the because I, I know that uh you've sort of worked out the permutations for this weekend could you fill us in a wee bit about that and uh tell us what what they also need to do and what they need to happen this weekend yeah, well, it's to be quite honest, I thought it was more difficult before I started it, but it's it's kind of pretty straightforward. Unless Claremont go down to the Stormers and win, which no disrespect to Jared Payne, you just you just can't see it happening. This is going to be a win and in game for Ulster, um, where they're more than likely going to go through. The only thing is because of the because of the fact they're only on three points, the mo the highest they're going to finish is seventh which sets up, um, if they finish in eighth, more than likely it's Leinster. And if they finish in seventh, more than likely it's Saracens away in the round 16. And that's a case of pick your poison. But just to, to break it down, so if they beat Sale, that'll get them seven points. The, the issue is Claremont are on six. So if Claremont get a losing bonus point, they have a 38 points, points difference um, better than Ulster. And that could knock Ulster out. Now that depends on, you know, so that's a tough one. If Ulster get a try bonus point win, as tough as that that could be, that'll put them to eight points. It'll almost certainly get them into the next round, barring a, a miracle from Claremont down in Cape Town. And the only way they can get seventh is if London Irish go to Montpellier and beat Montpellier there, who Montpellier dispatched of pretty easily in round one. So if if you're going to say what's the most likely solution it's probably going to be win without a bonus point and scrape into eighth place and more than likely play Leinster in the round of 16 in the Aviva yeah easy and if they don't if they don't just start sorry Peter <laughs> if they don't it's more than likely challenge cup and if that happens you're looking at Cardiff Glasgow Bristol Connacht um and may, maybe the Scarlets I'm not sure how it's, how it works when they come down but possibly an interpro against Connacht as well so for the neutral 
there might be an interpro in the next round. So we'll be happy. Um, I want to turn uh, now to Nathan. We skipped ahead a wee bit there uh, to talk about the permutations at, at this weekend, but we want to reflect a wee bit on the La Rochelle game. So Nathan, as usual, could you give us a, sort of a quick overview uh, and a bit of an overall assessment, I suppose, of both sides? Yeah, it was a bit mad, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it, it's it's been said a lot, but it, it it is worth just reflecting on how bizarre a game is that the teams combined for 10 points and it's nil nil at half time. I mean, uh, especially two two sides that do uh that do play plenty of attack in rugby. Um, and Lara shall score lots of points at home. Look, we all know why the conditions were, were were terrible. You touched on earlier that um the TV didn't do it justice. It was interesting. I think I think Murray Murray Kinsler and Johnny Bradley were the two Irish journalists down there, and they both tried to make that very clear um on their respective social medias. So I think uh you know, go away weather as as it was apparently the the line that was thrown around quite a lot, um, and look that reflected in, in in the game. Not a lot of scoring opportunities, not a lot of entry points into the game. Uh, set piece struggled. You know, La Rochelle, their line out success was only was just under seventy seven percent, which is which is low for them. Um, it was interesting. I thought that La Rochelle left a number of frontliners either on the bench or not playing. So no Bougarit, no Antonio, no Skelton. Uh, Kerb Barlow was on the bench. Uh, obviously, Dante has, has picked up that injury. That uh, I think he's out of the Six Nations, isn't he? Um, so, so you know, it was by no means a first-choice La Rochelle side, but, you know, they have significant depth, as you all know. Um, and, yeah, it was just, you know, massively bruising encounter. I think Ulster deserve a lot of credit for for, for fronting up in, in the way they did. Um you know, it was telling that both sides had, had low defenders beaten uh, numbers as well as therefore low missed tackles. And I think when you're when you're asked to kind of, you know, uh, front up and, and make the amount of tackles that were made and, and the, the, the defensive numbers are good, that, that deserves a plus um, from Ulster's point of view, considering they were risk, risking being overpowered. Um, I saw Dan McFarland wasn't happy afterwards about the, the yellow card incident for hauling down the mall. He, he thought that should have been a penalty try. Um, uh, the Georgian referee Amisha Kelly I think he, he you know there was definitely a conversation to be had around that especially because the card was given because there was three penalties in a row in quick succession the line out wasn't right on the line um, when the infringement came so maybe that's why uh, he didn't go under the sticks but you've also you have seen those being given uh, before uh, Leinster got into a bit of trouble over the weekend uh, with the penalty tries of the line out so you know, Ulster's Mall was probably as good as it has been in the last few weeks, wasn't it? I mean, we've said before that they look a bit blunt when, when the mall doesn't doesn't function. And I think they looked blunt because of the rain rather than that. But that was good to see against a, a, a size, a, a pack of the athletic profile of La Rochelle, that the mall was kind of trending back in the right uh, direction. And then, look, they just they got La Rochelle at the end. They, you know, La Rochelle got an entry point to the 22 and pick and jam, pick and jam, and they got the way over. They did exactly to Ulster what they did to Leinster in last year's final with a with a pick and jam try um, right at the death. So, look, Ulster deserve a lot of credit. Didn't create a lot. Nobody created a lot. So it's tough to cri- criticise anyone there. Um, set piece was better. Um, and, you know, the, the changes didn't lead to a one-sided game. Now, the rain might have actually helped Ulster in that regard, um, which is what I can't make my mind up about. But... You know, it, it could have been a lot worse, I think. And that's given where they are right now, that's probably a, a positive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, it, it was a, a vastly improved performance. And let's keep the positivity going here with Jack. And Jack, what were you most encouraged about from last Saturday? Were there any individuals who stood out to you in particular? 
Yeah, so I came away from it obviously um, hugely, hugely disappointed because um, the second half, you kind of thought to yourself, you kind of got more and more belief that actually they could go and sort of win this game. So um, to just be in the game and to be, uh, you know, to get that to get that penalty just on sixty three minutes, like that's that's what you have to do in those sort of um, in those sort of games. You have to just. You know, if you get if you get an opportunity to score any kind of points, then it could just be a three nil um, win. And as we alluded to earlier, it could have been closer to ten nil. And at that point, it's almost uh, you're almost at a, a, a you know, beyond arm's reach at, at that at that point. Um, few massive um, sort of defensive moments, I thought, which were which were fantastic because that's something that we've kind of questioned. And I think that the the entire front row and front row replacements deserve a heck of a lot of credit. Just guys like Tumong Allen, who's that's his second game, uh, you know, coming back from injury. He played 80 minutes against Benetton. Um, he was he was immense. I thought that you know the the front row replacements came on just as just as Larchelle were about to sort of bombard our, our line with a few scrums and um, you know guys like Andy Warwick coming on at tight head uh, and Eric O'Sullivan coming on you know in the cold in the wet you know you're not used to it you're not sure what the conditions are like underfoot and they've just got to give it their absolute all but i thought the entire sort of front row front five um a couple of standouts for me were Pimong allen um eric o'sullivan coming on against that massive tight head um uh shout out to harry sheridan i think who came on and you know played for 20 minutes and for a guy who's making his ulster debut down in down in france it was it was fantastic so so they really just fronted up kind of i know it's a kind of a cliche but they just kind of went up made their tackles and just the attitude was there and everything that we are perhaps missing from the last uh few weeks was was there in spades in my opinion i think that it was really really encouraging and Hopefully it can be. Um, I well, I believe it's 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 a bit of a turning point because it's it's going down to the defending champions and it's putting down a bit of a marker and saying yes, the conditions were awful, but you know in those conditions a big pack like La Rochelle's could could quite easily just sort of rumble on past you and those scrums could have been you know pretty easy for them to to knock over, but they didn't and we managed to just uh, scrape by. So um, I'm I'm massively encouraged from from what we saw just in terms of the intent and the attitude the guys showed so um it's all looking rosy now i like i like it jack i like your positivity and in terms <laughs> in terms of the the actual squad selection or the team selection uh, we were expecting maybe mcfarland to mix a few things up uh, we weren't entirely sure would he send a few young guys down which he s- sort of did you know uh, it was a difficult one to work out though. So uh, Marcus Ray seemingly left out in the cold entirely. He, he's not injured. A lot of people assume he's injured. He's been playing for um, Ballina Hinch at the weekend uh, as a six, you know, and he's one of our best uh, back row options in my humble opinion. Um, he wasn't playing. Cooney left out of the squad entirely. Uh, despite being fit to play, Billy Burns uh, left out, and uh, Ian Madigan. In terms of the selection, Nathan, what what do you make of that selection? There's a few few weird ones and a few surprise inclusions. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Uh, I thought the Cooney one was ever so slightly harsh. I thought him and Burns were much improved against Benetton, uh, especially in that they took a lot of responsibility off Cooney. Attacking wise against Benetton, they played a lot more off Burns, and it actually worked reasonably well at times. Um, 
But, you know, Doak, Doak played well on the weekend and Doak, Doak has been, you know, I think Doak was pretty poor against Leinster, but since then he's kind of rebounded a little bit. Um, if sometimes when he's coming on late, he hasn't impacted games. So maybe that's what the thinking was there to kind of get him a start. Um, Hume, I can understand he's he's been struggling. I think, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the talk has been basically ever since that uh, Ireland, uh, Ireland Day and New Zealand development game when he kind of, Got caught up in the in the backlash after that of a lot of a lot a lot of underperformers. He hasn't really come back um, and put a run of form together um, for him. So I can understand that. Again, the Burns one I thought was strange because I thought he played better um, quite often with that type of thing. If especially if he's on the bench, um, quite often you know there's a niggle that they're just not revealing. And you know if they absolutely need him, they might play him. Um, you know that does happen. More sometimes I I don't know that that would be purely speculation, um, and yeah I guess Madigan I mean look <laughs> a lot of people have been calling for Madigan to get a bit more of a run both him and Flannery um at times the timing of it was strange in that it came after a decent performance from Burns but you know he he showed that he probably still has something to offer especially from a game management point of view which is quite often where we've been saying Ulster have been lacking especially when trying to close out games. Um, now look, they obviously didn't close it out on 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 Saturday for more so for Larachelle power reasons than anything else. But it was it was curious. I suspect a lot of it was maybe so we can go full metal jacket um, this weekend, McFarland, and maybe some of it was just a case of give one or two lads a kick up the arse, and there probably was a niggle or two as well. I suspect it was a combination of all the above. Yeah, and I don't know we were talking about that or you were talking about that word crisis and. If anyone watches The Simpsons, I think it was Homer uh, coined it. It was crisisunity. And it's whenever there's a crisis which creates opportunity for players, the likes of McCann, <laughs> uh, Harry Sheridan stepping in, Madigan, who's been left out in the cold. So thank goodness for this crisisunity, uh, allowing those guys to um, come back into the fold and, and play for the shirt. Um, in terms of the the stats, I always like a, a couple of stats. This was from Opta Johnny. If you follow him on Twitter, uh, he, he's... Uh, Great uh, insight. There were five missed tackles from both teams, or sorry, five missed tackles from uh, La Rochelle and six missed tackles from Ulster, which is incredible considering on previous pods we've sat here and gone. Do you know the numbers like 20 or 20 missed tackles up around that number? And you're like, what has happened? And Evan, maybe turn to you here. How did Ulster seemingly sort out so many of their issues for this game? Like, is it entirely a mental thing? Um, what were the key differences? Defence being a big one. What were the key differences, in your opinion, uh, with this performance compared to other recent performances? Um, I think Nathan's already kind of alluded to it, but I think the weather was a huge factor uh, and how able both teams were to put weight on the ball. Uh, as a result, you saw a lot of carries off nine, uh, kicks up in the air, Defensive situations where it, you can quite clearly see who's going to carry the ball to the next rug. Uh, it's very to pick out the man you're going to make the tackle on and then tackle and get him to the ground. Uh, so I think the weather, being realistic, was a huge factor um, in Ulster's performance and dealing with, I suppose, what have been defensive issues in previous games. Um, just going back through the previous games where Ulster seemed to really struggle is when um, teams move to midfield, uh, put width on the ball, um, make them choose how many numbers to get out of a ruck or 
maybe stretched him at a scrum where the back row has to come across and support um, the back line and that becomes confusion then in the centres or 10 sitting down. It's when teams put width in the ball that Ulster have struggled most defensively this year. And I think the weather was a huge factor in not allowing La Rochelle to put width on the ball and allow Ulster to pick their targets much more easily. Now, having said that, Ulster still had to front up and they had to make a huge amount of tackles. And physically, as you say, La Rochelle, although they were missing some of physically the biggest players in the world, Uni Antonio, Will Skelton, uh, Dante, players who would physically dominate any, they're huge misses for any team. They're still a hugely physical team that had to be fronted up against. And Ulster did that right up until that very last second where forwards just didn't fall around the rock. Uh, it was a back tackle and a forward and La Rochelle drove over. So, you know, I suppose from a mental aspect for Ulster, you talk about confidence. Confidence comes from repeating action successfully over and over again. And Ulster can look and say, we had a great attack completion. We were making our tackles. We were fronting up that it's great from that perspective that they were building successful defensive sets. So that they can take confidence from that. But at the same time, it's likely the game is going to be very different this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of the habit of throwing away games, I want to touch on that a wee bit because this has been the subject of some debate. So if I turn to, to Donald for this one, so how much of this tendency to throw away games um, is in Ulster's heads and how much of it is actually just down to maybe a lack of fitness or quality on the bench? What do you think? Yeah, I'm increasingly of the opinion that fitness is a problem. Um, And it's probably in the area of the coaching staff that's kind of gone under the radar. You know, we had um, one head of S&C that was with us for a very long time. And since then, we've had a series of people coming and going. Um, I think it was your man, David Drake. Then there was the guy who worked with the Limerick Burling team. Then he sort of slipped off very quietly off to Connacht. And now we've got an internal promotion for for the guy who's in, in position now. Um, I don't think that we, we look fit. And I think we're making bad decisions under pressure at the end of games, um, purely because we're not able to think straight. Uh, I think we've got probably the best depth we've ever had. Um, and every year at the start of the season, me and a friend, we sort of remark on paper how good Ulster are and how far we think we can go. But um, I do think our fitness is an issue. And and maybe another symptom of that fitness is the over-reliance on certain players. Um, I should have maybe jumped in earlier in the discussion around Madigan and Burns, but I'm not really convinced that Burns has been fit all season. Um two or three times every game he's down getting a bit of attention walking gingerly and continues to soldier on and I know we've had injuries to Flannery and to Madigan and sir trialing Larry 10 hasn't really worked either but we seem so reliant on him I'd say there's a depth issue there or um, we don't trust the, the, the depth that we have but overall I just think our fitness isn't good enough um, like even conceding that try something you see regularly with Ulster is players being bunched in around those um, try line defence sets to you sort of wonder why why are they even there? Madigan brave a tackler, tackler as he is often finds himself in those positions and this time it was himself and Stuart Moore 
pretty close to well, what eventually ended up being the match-winning try. I'm not sure Dwayne Vermeulen, who was starting one player out, if he was fresh and fit and thinking clearly, would would he choose to stand as wide as he did and leave a much smaller, lighter man to take two heavy forwards into Stuart Moore? I, I don't think that yeah, is a logical it, decision. It was about six forwards, us to forwards on one side of the ruck and two backs on the other side. Yeah, and I think that, that makes came over. Sense very late so yeah you know it's the last minute of the game it's been a horrible conditions heavy pitch very hard to run on that but that'd be a big one yeah and they made it you, the last minute of the game anyway because yeah. that was the game effectively over yeah. yeah they and this i think it's been an issue around that that last quarter which was ironically connacht's downfall last season has become ours this year um, where players just aren't getting off the ground quick enough, aren't rolling away quick enough, and that feeds into discipline problems. And it's a bit of a spiral that we lose territory and uh, eventually concede scores. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's one of those things that's very frustrating because fitness is one of those basic things to get right. And as you say, like there's, I would explain a lot, you know, if there's something maybe going on behind the scenes which makes uh, just the fitness, the, the conditioning's not good enough. That's definitely, definitely would explain a lot. Um, and the, the, as you say, the rotation and the, the rapid rotation of uh, SNC coaches is of some concern. It's almost as if there's someone they don't get on with in the background. Um, in terms of uh, leadership at Ulster, that's another accusation that has been made, you know, a lack of good leadership. And I think that's a term people throw around. What do they actually mean in practical terms? But turn to you, Jack, do you think there is a leadership issue at Ulster, however you choose to interpret that? And you've got Handy playing well and undoubtedly the best choice is captain. But is there is that maybe lacking across the squad? I'm not sure really. I mean I you know if you if we think about this run of Perform that we've uh, that we've been on. It's it's actually uh, since Handy's come back from his injury. So he came back during that that zebra game, and then uh, you know henceforth we've uh, not had this. Uh, we've not had a, a great run of it. Handy's um, so, a problem. I've said Andy's a problem, guys. No, no, no. I I, would, I wouldn't say that. But I mean, when 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 you think about how you know the games have gone early season, and then this run of um, this run of tough tough fixtures. I, I don't think it's just down to um, leadership. I don't think um, that that's the that's the problem. I think it's confidence and leadership can only take you so far. I think you know you can have the best captain in the world, and you know if other players are not confident, you can't make them confident just by you know um, just by yourself. Hendy's made plenty of big tackles in, in in recent matches. He's made good runs. He's made you know big impacts on you know mall and line out and stuff but you need probably three or four guys so you know alan o'connor is a good good leader everyone thinks to seem you know everyone says that he's such a he's such a you know figurehead for the ulster team and he plays week in week out because he just fronts up and um and plays really well we're missing a few guys in the back line i think to sort of take a bit of leadership in terms of on-field leadership in terms of you know taking a game by the scruff of the neck a guy like james hume to make a line break or you know one of the wingers to get involved and to just put a big hit on someone or something like that so we're we're, we're kind of um kind of fading um it's how i would sort of describe a little bit of the the mentality it seems like guys are not 
fully confident on some of their reads or some of their I don't know just some of their decision making I think the decision making has been really poor in the last sort of um in the last few games which has been which has been disappointing but in terms of leadership I can't say it's just about about that because I think that there are plenty of good good leaders on on the pitch and I think it's more a confidence thing than than it is leadership yeah, I suppose you look across that team and there's the likes of Vermeulen, uh, Raw Perrings usually there, Alan exactly. Paul, as you say, like there's enough guys and Luke Marshall. I mean, there's enough experienced guys. It's not like a bunch of kids are, have been thrown out and fed to, fed to the Lions. Do you know, it's a good experienced team mixed with youth. So in fairness, the, the selection was interesting and a bit baffling, um, but look, it, it largely worked apart from the result, the, the key bit. I, I want to go back to you, Donald, just quickly. Like if We talked about a few of those combinations earlier, in particular the uh, the 9-10 axis, uh, Hendy playing at six and, and a couple of those young guys. Who, who would Do you think you'd stick to those decisions or what changes would you make in those key areas for Ulster? Uh, yeah, I think I'd probably stick more than twist on most of them um i think madigan deserves another go um i've been somewhat on the fence about him in the past but i think he did he deserves a shot um and if burns was carrying a bit of a niggle or a knock or something then this is his opportunity he certainly did nothing last week to um make me think he didn't doesn't deserve another go uh, and I, I think he is probably a better game manager uh, sort of along the lines of what Nathan was saying earlier on. And I think that takes a big amount of pressure off Nathan Doak, who we have to kind of remember is so young and, um, well, he's developing experience at this level, but I think it's harder to develop if all the pressure is on his shoulders to have to try and organise forwards and the play all around him. Um, I, I think we have seen changes, though, as well to Burns's game style over the years. I mean, one of his most attractive qualities was those sh- that short attacking kicking game. And he, he really hasn't done any of that lately. Um, and until maybe two matches ago, I'm not sure we saw too many breaks either from him. Um, so if you take away two of his biggest strengths and then you're questioning things like game management and leadership and wondering if it's there, I suppose I'd be asking then is Burns the man for the job? Uh, I don't mean that in a, it's probably as cruel a way as it sounds, but you know I think it's only fair to give somebody else another shot, particularly when fans have been calling for for so long. Um, I, I sort of got the impression, reading between the lines from some other interviews I was listening to, that maybe Madigan's role had shifted more to player coach in a sense. He was taking on on a lot of ownership of um, the back line and trying to improve their passing range and passing quality. Um, and so maybe that there was value in his contract extension for that reason alone. But it seemed bizarre to extend his contract and then never use him. And I guess you could extend that to Flannery. Why extend his if you're never going to give him any minutes? Um, yeah. Probably a question for another day. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think, though, when we're coming up against Seal, um, power um, and physicality is probably the, the aim of the game. So... I think McCluskey would come back in. I'd like to see Ray in for Hendy because I know he's out injured. Um, pretty much everyone else the same and possibly McElroy over Stockdale. Um, it depends how must win you feel this game is. Um, trying to get Stockdale into form. 
And I'm not sure if with every drop ball and every slipped pass that he gives, is this doing his confidence any good or hurting it more? I'm just not sure. Um, I don't know if there's any IRFU um, pressure to get him into the game um, because obviously centrally contracted for how much longer? Not too sure. Um, but that's gone, isn't it? The case, I think it snuck out today. That's that's pretty. That's done. It's gone. Yeah. yeah well, I think that's reasonable. I mean, he's the injuries and his form, and there's there are are other talents across the provinces that probably are more deserving right now. Um, I don't know. I I'm not sure he needs to be trying to discover confidence and form in another must win game when the last couple have gone against him. Um, yeah. and I'm a big fan of McElroy I think he's a quality player too so why not give yeah. him a shot I know we're, I suppose we're not that short in wingers and unfortunately it's one of those ones you sort of want to see Stockdale playing as you're like you remember him in 2018 and <laughs> you're like I, I, I want I want that version of Stockdale back and he's just he's low on confidence at the minute now as you say he might just need more gently reintroduced he was out for a long time there and it's very hard to get your form back, as you rightly say, in these pressure games. So um, I, w- I want to go now to Evan. So I know Evan, Evan's our uh, rugby guru. What would, if you were Dan McFarland or if you were to fill um, a, a vacant position as an Ulster coach, uh, what would you be telling your team ahead of the sale game? I suppose there's lots of things. I suppose from a mental perspective, uh, you'd be saying don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, that if there are mistakes happening there that players aren't trying to chase being flawless in the game that they just keep going they just keep trying to add up the good moments into a win Um, but I suppose looking the positive thing for Ulster um, if they're looking back at this from an analyst perspective is they have a lot of footage now of sales struggling um, against Toulouse especially um, and where they've struggled um, Toulouse hurting them a lot from inside their own 22 um, especially off second ball in midfield Sale rushing up getting very loose there's gaps there where they can attack them um, they see lots they can see a lot of different holes and obviously Ulster playing a very different way to Toulouse and Toulouse the best of both worlds where they have a huge pack and they have a back line who can with huge pace and they, they're always looking to keep the ball alive but You'd be saying to them to back themselves to have that go, and you see when the game opens up against a team against Sale who like to play a very controlled game where they're winning those collisions off a rook, where they're winning those collisions carrying themselves off a rook. Try to take them out of that structure. Try to remove that kind of predictability where it's just bone on bone, and Ulster are running at those spaces trying to stretch Sale and. As we saw again against Toulouse, if they keep those phases going, they can start conceding cards. The game can start opening up even more. I definitely think Ulster can beat Sale. And I suppose one positive, I know I've been quite stark about Ulster so far, is that their discipline has got better in the last few games. Um, that eight penalties against Benetton, it was uh, 10 against La Rochelle, whereas it had been a serious issue you know, going into the mid-teens, high-teens previously. So... That is getting better. So keep the discipline, keep the game yeah. loose if you can, and just back yourselves. You know, don't don't try to be perfect. Just put all the good things together. Do the, the small things right, and as Quailon underlined there earlier, get the win. 
um, get the win first and then go from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I think you're you're right. I think a lot of it is in the process, you know, and just focusing on. I think I think when you're thinking about the win, it can take away from being in the moment on the pitch. And um, I, I think Ulster just need to need to regain whatever flow state that they, that, that they can. Yeah. Start enjoying games as well. Um, and Nathan, I want to turn to you briefly as well. What what are your predictions for this game? Do you think Ulster will get a win? I'll ask you to stick your neck out in this one and 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 make a call. Um, I don't think they will. I think uh, what Evan said earlier about a lot of the improvements came because the conditions didn't allow Ulster to be stressed in areas that they have been poor recently. Um, I think Sale will stress them in those areas. Um, you know, we talked a little. I think last week against Benetton, the the the, the flaw that we highlighted was was you know two different types of defense. Their transition defense was was poor and slow to set up. And then you know Evan mentioned earlier, get the ball, get into width. I mean, was it the Benetton first score was just uh, a ball at the back of two runners in midfield, and the ball went wide, and Ulster conceded on the first phase. I think okay, Sale might not threaten them in transition. That's not as much their game, but that type of you know, hard carriers front up. You know, you look at the likes of Tuolagi um, in that in that set of lineup. If 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 fit, of course, um, there's in a glaring obvious hole straight away. If all through midfield defense is is struggling, and Sale do have threats out wide to, to take advantage of that. If if Tuolagi kind of fronts up, and and as we know, Sale Sale have the power to to trouble Ulster and to and to disrupt their set piece. Um, are they a better side than Ulster? I don't necessarily think so. Uh, despite the 39-0, obviously, you know, all the excuses were not excuses, the all the contexts were given around that game. But, you know, they have the power to nullify that Ulster mall platform. And again, Ulster have looked very weak when that's happened to them in, re- in previous weeks. So I think, yeah, so I, I would struggle to see because I just don't think we saw enough improvement in the right way last week because like we said, they didn't get, they weren't, Larishal couldn't stress them in the usual areas because of the, because of the conditions. Um, so yeah, I, I do think Sale will, will probably get a, get a result there. Um, and I'm assuming based on the permutations, that's, that's them done. Um, Ulster, uh, which well, I was curious because I was, you know, uh, um, I, I'm not saying this to, to be overly dis- disagreeing or anything, but I was interested when Donald kind of laid out the points about, you know, there's the two camps, you either go for health leather and get the five pointer and try and sneak in or, Except the Challenge Cup, and to me, I am baffled that anyone is even saying, uh, "Go f- have a run in the Challenge Cup." Like, if you're in still remotely and with a chance of qualifying for the Champions Cup, I don't understand how that is not the be all and end all. Um, this weekend, and and they go hell for leather for it. Um, even if they do think they can recover and, and challenge for some silverware in in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, yeah. I think I think almost just sorry on that on that point, Nathan. I think it's almost more important that Ulster just win the game rather than get through. To like the you know to the last uh, to the round of sixteen, I think it's just more important that it's like okay, here's your challenge. No one wants to go into the you know no one no one wants to drop down into the challenge cup once during the champions cup. So the, the 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 big thing is, can we go out and perform and win a game when we need to because it's the only way we can you know we can get get back into back into form and potentially into into the into the next round. So so yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's something people don't talk about a lot uh, for some reason is the amount of money that you get for Champions Cup as opposed to um, the Challenge Cup. Now, I'm not sure what the difference is, but by all accounts, getting to the quarters is where you get a payday, basically, for getting to the quarters, which could be uh, significant for Ulster. Uh, And again, I'm not sure 
these these figures are not that easily av- uh, publicly available. So it'd be, but I've just heard people say that's where the money is, you know, and that's another incentive, and and maybe not a very popular part of it to talk about the huge monetary uh, advantage of getting through to the the quarters. Um, Jack, I want to go back to you for a second about your opinions on the selection for this weekend. Is there anyone that you would, uh, is there anyone you change from that team that, that we saw last weekend who did so well? So yeah, it was more a point to sort of think about where we've where we've struggled in in these kinds of games. Is we seem to be obviously uh, without you know putting too fine a point of it, losing in the last in the last minute or two. But if if that's our if that's our area of weakness, then put the strongest guys on the bench. So put you know Roy Sutherland on the bench. Put you know Hendy if he was available. Stick him on the bench. Perhaps if uh, you know a guy like Jacob Stockdale, who's probably more beneficial off the bench because he he is able to make that impact although we've not seen it and he's not in form but giving him that you know leeway of just coming on for 20 minutes rather than having to manage you know um the full 80 if he makes an early if he makes an early drop ball and you know the confidence is shattered it's just go out and give it hell for leather so that's that's something that i thought was could could be an interesting kind of ploy because obviously you're thinking about how you finish the game as well in terms of getting maybe bonus points uh if if you're in a position to win the game um but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case because um, we've heard that Seattle are going to win the game now. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it, it, it's an interesting little selection. So obviously, uh, Dan's always quite, quite, uh, quite interesting with his um, selections. So really looking forward to see if maybe guys like Is it true? you come back in to uh, you know give him a go, but then Sheridan might get another chance. So that's um, that's how we could maybe change things up to give ourselves a bit more of a stronger finish um, in these kinds of games. Yeah, and I want to just on that point a wee bit um, about sort of new guys coming in. So there's the likes of Isachukwu and uh, Harry Sheridan to come in, but there's also a new Ulster signing. Uh, what do you think that means, Dave, yours coming in from from, uh, uh, from Exeter to join Ulster? And what do you think that means for the likes of Vermeulen as well? And what, what do you make of that signing as well, Jack? So... I, um, it, it happened. I mean, I don't know if, if if anyone else sort of had seen this in the last, well, before before last week. I mean, it, it only really came out for me in the, in the last kind of week or so, and um, a little bit a little bit surprised by it. I thought I I, I don't think Ulster would 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 go for, you know, um, that that you know that that type of that type of player in terms of just his kind of uh, standing in the game. You're you're usually expecting maybe a little bit more of a marquee um signing but the the key thing is you look at any kind of social media on uh exeter chiefs or day of yours uh social media and you'll just see the love that people have for him he's just an absolute kind of king among men for in that for that for that club he, he he's just an absolute you know, I thought he was a. I thought I thought he seemed like a one club man as well. So I thought he would just sort of stick out his days in Exeter. But he he's a massive, massive man, and you know that's something that we're very much lacking, um, in in sort of the back row department. So there's not many guys who are you know six foot six and uh, uh, what is it, you know, nineteen odd stone, and who can just absolutely carry ball day and night for you. So um, he's a very shrewd signing i think he's probably um a little bit of a cheaper option maybe which is potentially um due to other contracts and stuff so i think it's a very um shrewd signing i think it's a guy that we don't have in the squad who can just carry 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 
and um, and will add um, a good bit of power to the uh, to the pack. So, so I think I think he'll he'll prove a lot of doubters wrong. Uh, I think he's a good a good signing. Yeah, I know. I just uh, whenever we signed for Mulan, I was uh, o- over the moon. Um, uh, Nathan, do you want to jump in there uh, on that? Yeah, well, I guess I'll let you deal with the Bermudan point because there's probably connotations both for him and for how his time has been seen uh, at Ulster by by the senior management. I mean, just, you know, you said carry, carry, carry there, Jack. I mean, Opta, again, using Opta Johnny, he tweeted something uh, yesterday. Uh, Ewers is third since the start, since the start of last season. So for the last two years now, well, year and a half, he's third in the Premier League uh, for average number of carries over the game line uh, per 80 minutes. Uh, and he's on that list with uh, Dan Dupree of Sale and, and Tom Willis. Um, so you know he's he's on he's understated, I think, on this side of the water for his carrying ability. So I think uh, it shows we're you know we're not completely off the rocker when we say Ulster need better ball carrying from the back row if if that's the <laughs> player they're looking for. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And and Dono, any any thoughts on that signing, and in particular the uh, the knock on effect that will have for our NIQ players? <laughs> um, well, I I really think we've missed Marcel's carrying in the last five meters. But the number of times we've been banging on the door and not got over, got turned over, built yeah. the ball on because we just don't have that finishing power in the last yeah five, even two meters. Um. And it's a bit disappointing that we haven't seen that development from the likes of the Ray brothers. Um, he, Timney's a pretty good carrier, but he almost needs a bit more of a run-up. I think we've probably seen Marty Moore score as many tries from that distance with a step, a pirouette, and fall over the line as maybe the rest of our players. So yeah, we're, we're missing that kind of player who's going to, do the job the easier way rather than do it in one or two attempts rather than 10 to 20 attempts or maybe never even get across the line. So I, I think in that regard, he's going to be fantastic for us. 100%. They're not like, that's a very good point. There used to be, you knew when could say got the ball, it's it's a try. You can almost look away and just, <laughs> and wait for the, the roar, do you know? Um, and even, even some like Nick Williams as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, he had his yeah. faults, but my goodness, like the amount of attention that man grabbed from defenders in terms of creating space for somebody else or even just knocking a massive Nick Williams-sized hole in the defensive line uh, and going through, it was incredible. Uh, we just haven't had anyone to fill that role since Marcel. Nick Williams is some man. Uh, I know I'm getting all nostalgic now. Doing all back to you very briefly, this game, look, Dan McFarland's been under a lot of pressure. Uh, recently, do you think he's under pressure for his job? Genuinely, it'll ultimately probably be his choice if he moves on. Let's be honest. What would it take for you to say uh, we need to we need to change coach? Um, well, I think being a head coach invites pressure. Like, there's no other way about it. Um, there's probably apart from the likes of Mark McCall and um, Leo. And in Leinster, there's probably not too many head coaches who don't feel pressure from time to time. But these things can change so quickly. And I guess Munster is the perfect case example of that. I think the reality is, um, I'm not suggesting this is what you're saying or what anyone else is, but I'm sorry, other people are saying it. Sacking him isn't a solution. You know, the, the notion that things are not just going to magically get better because you sacked a head coach 
is is a complete nonsense to me. Um, I think it ignores the great work that Dan has done. I do have question marks about the coaching setup generally because I think a lot of Ulster's faults this season, arguably the skills haven't been as good. You know, the defence has improved. Um, and our attack, first phase attack is whether the skills are laying it down or this, the cutting edge isn't there, I don't know. But um, I think there's elements of our coaching hasn't been good. Um, and we need to see signs of improvement in that. But I I can't really say I fault Dan. I think Dan's a weird selector. I'll definitely criticise him on that point. Um, but he spends far more time with the players than any of us. So I get I. I just take it at face value that he knows what he's doing and that and there's reasons for these selections and omissions as well, like Marcus Ray and his seemingly fall out of the team. And even Cormac as a joke crew, you would have thought that maybe he was the next man up instead of Sheridan, but you know, it's a Christunity or whatever that word you, you came up with there. Um yeah. I don't know. I don't what would it take for me to think Dan wasn't the man? Um I don't know. I mean, to me, it still feels like we're a long way from that before. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think we, we got a lot of mileage in the early years out of that idea of fight for every inch. Mm. Maybe that message has got a little stale and maybe it's time for a new slogan. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> we... Fight for know. every yard? Does that work? Yeah, well, there, it went to squeeze every drop, I think, in season two. So <laughs> I don't know what we're at now. It could be, yeah, changed from... <laughs> metric to imperial or something <laughs> yeah no absolutely look i think um mcfarland uh is undoubtedly a good coach i would argue though um that they need to start looking ahead and by no means should they get rid of him without someone else in place and someone appropriate and and, and adequate to, to step in they should look ahead though and they should assess their options i think there needs to be contingency put in place I would say, as you say, Donal, I think they probably do need a new voice or a new message in there. Um, now, that that could change. Sport is fickle, and it could change in a week. It could change in a game. If something he does gets the message through, changes a, a mentality um, issue that's going on, that, then fair enough. I, I just think I've seen it enough, uh, and I know many of us here are fans of other sports, and I say it all the time in football. I don't want rugby to become like football, but I've seen this pattern so many times of coaches coming out and blaming their players. I'm not a fan of that. I think uh, I think that that go, can go on behind closed doors, but I didn't like Dan slamming his players in public. That didn't get an immediate response. So he's gone back to the sort of softly, softly approach in public and saying he's proud of the boys. Um, so it's uh, in fairness, he, he had every reason to be after that game. But um, I, I want to just finish off with this question with the Ireland team being picked tomorrow. And we'll just wrap up in the next couple of minutes. But if you guys have uh, any opinions here, what Ulster players deserve to get picked for Ireland? And as a flip side to that, which players maybe don't deserve to get picked who've previously been a part of Ireland's squad. So does anyone want to jump in on that one? Tom Stewart, I'd love to see him in the squad. Yeah. Um, at Hawker. Um, I think he's a player with a lot of uh, potential, not just for Ulster, but um, Ireland. Uh, he's got the right profile. Um, he's had a great first season, pro- proper debut season. I know he played last season, but um, 
he'd be the guy for me that I'd be pushing forward anyway, other than the obvious one with Henderson. Absolutely, Tom Stewart's quality. Is there any other guys there? I mean, we've talked about a few names. Is there anyone you'd have who, who maybe just on form wouldn't get back in? Get in, but I think I think you probably see a similar selection in terms of the squad that he picked in November. Probably a few guys dropping out. Jacob Stockwell probably drops out just because he just needs time off, probably more than anything, just to sort of get his get his get his fitness right and get his mind, you know, back in gear. So he might he might drop out, and there's lots of guys in the back three who are playing well in other provinces, which is which is which is fine. But um, like I said, I think you know Kieran Treadwell uh, continues to, to 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 play to play well for us, um, and he's probably showing a lot of what uh, Faz likes um, and has seen from him in the past. So so he's 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 going pretty well. Uh, Timoney maybe is one of those ones who's on who's on the fence. You know, you could, you could see maybe other uh, other guys coming in, but he's he's sort of the backup sort of seven I suppose for for Ireland so um be disappointed if he didn't um make it in and then I guess uh it's it Balakoon as well if, if, if he's if his hamstring is uh just a precaution or if it's a little bit more serious then he might he might miss out in, on the initial squad but he might get back in so it's really tough I mean it, it's getting it's getting to that sort of point now where you can you can almost see the entire Leinster team getting into the uh to the to the Ireland squad, um, not a, not 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 a criticism. It's just the way it is. They're, they have all the best players, so um, that's just sort of how it goes. But uh, it could be tough. We could we could have we could have um, I think fewer fewer guys uh, this time around than we did uh, in November, which would be reflective of form. But then again, Six Nations and and, and international squads sometimes are not based on form. So we'll see. Yeah. I had four names written down. I had Henderson. Stewart, Treadwell, and McCluskey. Um, I, I don't think we'll see Larry make it because again, I think there's just players playing better than Larry at the minute. Um, yeah, I think McCluskey gets there, particularly if there's doubts around Henshaw. Um, Bundy as well is in a bit of trouble over in Connacht. Don't know what's going on over there. He's not very playing. Strange, yeah, very yeah. strange. Oh, Bundy, Bundy, Bundy will go in. No, yeah. no doubt. The only thing about McCluskey is as good as good as he was, uh, especially last week against Benetton. Uh, the last time he played for Farrell, he got yanked after 50 minutes and Bundy got thrown on with the game in the line against Australia. I don't know how much Farrell holds on to that, but that would be the one thing. Um, I think he'll certainly make the squad uh, and the starting 12 shirt is up for grabs, but I'm not sure if he'll get it, especially if Bundy is there. And my big dark horse is I think Jamie Osborne might start at 12 because I think he's he's just been tearing it up in the last, in the last few weeks. Um, I watched him, I was in Gloucester on Saturday. but So I think that might work against McCluskey. But I, I certainly think he'll be he'll be in the squad. That is if 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 Bundy is uh, is is in a lot of trouble. We don't really know what's going on there. It's funny. Yeah, apart, so, from, so, apart from score a try in that match, I was like, what else has Bundy done? It's different. Like, I couldn't really see any big difference. <laughs> and he didn't have a huge amount of work to do for that he try. Just, he so. demanded the ball a little bit more, didn't he? He just yeah. popped up a little bit more, whereas McCluskey he got the ball in first phase, but, you know, he'd make yards, but it would be slow ball on, on the first phase, carry and just everything, things like that. And he wasn't helped because Australia took Bernard Foley out the line and they had their two back rowers and their 12. So McCluskey was running into their three best defenders all day. So I think that wasn't really his fault. They should have gone wide more then. Um, but I, I think agree. McCluskey played very well against South Africa as well. Um, I know he got injured, but... He cleaned up scraps well, didn't he? You no, know, he has that little bit of credit in the bank. Um, as I said, 12 is it's kind of very open, and there's players like even 
Antoine Frisch coming in from Munster. There's people talking him up. And Osborne, who uh, played very well, obviously still very young, quite raw. But um, you don't know with Henshaw. I think McCluskey's position might be in jeopardy as well in the squad. I think um, it's just very hard. Lowry, you can see he's trying really hard, but he's taking a lot on himself and probably making a lot of mistakes as a result. And other players in our provinces like Haley or um, are stepping up. So it's going to be an interesting one tomorrow. There's, I think there's going to be a few surprises anyway. But um, yeah, as I said, I think you mentioned there, Jack Treadwell as well. I think he's, again, he deserves to be still in the squad. Um, and I keep him in there as well. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think we need to account for the well known conspiracy against Ulster as well from the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we need, we need to take that into account. Um, I was just going to say, if, there, if, there's a, if there's a surefire way of doing that, it's about it's what Nathan said, starting Jimmy Osborne at 12, and social media will explode. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I got, it, got it for Marty Merckx. I genuinely think oh, yeah. this, was a, yeah. uh, this was a tournament where if he was going to have a late run at the World Cup, this was it. And I, he might not even be fit and recovered by the time World Cup runs around. It really could be a career ender for him and devastating really. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely Good. gutted for Marty as chairman of the Marty Murr fan club. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm I, I just thought he was in unbelievable form. Absolutely gutted for him and he gets back to playing. In terms of this weekend, we're gonna wrap up there guys. That was a good discussion in terms of this weekend. Um if you want to watch Ulster absolutely tonk sale that's on Saturday at eight o'clock. So whenever Ulster inevitably win, bombard Nathan's socials with uh <laughs> with messages to rub it in. <laughs> uh, so guys thanks very much for the chat that was good that was really good and uh yeah we'll be back next week um either wednesday or thursday with another pod cheers awesome fellas cheers cheers william carlisle coaching helping yo-yo dieters stop living their life on a diet and achieve long-lasting fat loss results we've helped hundreds of dieters ditch the strict boring and bland diets whilst losing 15 pounds minimum in 90 days this is all done with the fit for life transformation program it's the counterintuitive approach to weight loss and will change your life forever if you want to know more grab your phone or pen and paper to write down my social accounts on instagram it's at william carlisle coaching on facebook it's just william carlisle if you'd be interested in learning more drop me a message and let's chat Imagine a place free from gravity. Imagine a place free from all external stimulation where the only thing you can hear is your own heartbeat. A place where your physical and mental health can rest and recover, where you can reconnect with your whole self. That place is Hydroes. Come and join us. You can find us at www.hydroes.com hydro-ease.co.uk